It's Acts chapter 10, which you'll find on page 1013. 1013, that's Acts chapter 10. I'm going to read the whole chapter, so you'll be uh, with my dulcet tones for quite some time. There was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. He was a devout man and feared God along with his whole household. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. About three in the afternoon, he distinctly saw in a vision an angel of God who came in and said to him, Cornelius. Looking intently at him, he became afraid and said, What is it, Lord? The angel told him, Your prayers and your acts of charity have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, he called two of his household slaves and a devout soldier, who was one of those who attended him. After explaining everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were travelling and nearing the city, Peter went up to pray on the housetop about noon. Then he became hungry and wanted to eat, but while they were preparing something, he went into a visionary state. He saw heaven opened and an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners to the earth. In it were all the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and the birds of the sky. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, Peter said, for I have never eaten anything common and ritually unclean. Again, a second time, a voice said to him, What God has made clean, you must not call common. This happened three times, and then the object was taken up into heaven. While Peter was deeply perplexed about what the vision he had seen might mean, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions to Simon's house, stood at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was also named Peter, was lodging there. While Peter was thinking about the vision, the spirit told him, Three men are here looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and accompany them with no doubts at all, because I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men and said, Here I am, the one you are looking for. What is the reason you're here? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who has has a good reputation with the whole Jewish nation, um, was divinely directed by a holy angel to call you to his house and to hear a message from you. Peter then invited them in and gave them lodging. The next day he got up and set out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went with him. The following day he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter helped him up and said, Stand up, I myself am also a man. While talking with him, he went on in and found that many had come together there. Peter said to them, You know it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner. But God has shown me that I must not call any person common or unclean. That's why I came without any objection when I was sent for. So I ask, why did you send for me? Cornelius replied, Four days ago at this hour, at three in the afternoon, I was praying in my house. Just then, a man in a dazzling robe stood before me and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your acts of charity have been remembered in God's sight. Therefore, send someone to Joppa and invite Simon here, who is also named Peter. 
He is lodging in Simon the Tanner's house by the sea. Therefore, I immediately sent for you, and you did the right thing in coming. So we are all present before God to hear everything you have been commanded by the Lord. Then Peter began to speak. Now I really understand that God doesn't show favoritism, but in every nation, the person who fears him and does righteousness is acceptable to him. He sent the message to the Israelites, proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You know the events that took place throughout Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil, because God was with him. We ourselves are witnesses of everything he did, everything he did in, Ju- in the Judean country and in Jerusalem, yet they killed him by hanging him on a tree. God raised up this man on the third day and permitted him to be seen, not by all the people, but by us, witnesses appointed beforehand by God, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to solemnly testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that through his name, everyone who believes in him will receive forgiveness of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speaking in other languages and declaring the greatness of God. Then Peter responded, Can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptised who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay for a few days. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Carly. We're in Acts. Uh, We've covered Acts 1 to 8, and then we started again a couple weeks ago, 9 and 10 this week. I want to talk about a dream. I've had a dream. Remember that famous speech by Martin Luther King? I have a dream. I have a dream of a church full of people of all different backgrounds, all different races, all different ages, all standing and worshipping God together. I have a dream of a church where there are young and old and rich and poor and educated and uneducated and people from different ethnic backgrounds and different socioeconomic backgrounds and, and we love each other and we, we worship God together because we're one family. I have a dream of a church where people walk into the church and they don't feel judged. They don't feel discriminated against. They're welcomed and they meet Jesus. I have a dream of a church where the people at church love Jesus so much that they just can't stop talking about Jesus. Just very naturally, not awkwardly, just overflow their heart. Just talk about Jesus wherever they are, whoever they're with. I have a dream of a church full of people who, as they go about their everyday life, they just see everyone through the eyes of Jesus. You know, people who are harassed and helpless and lost like sheep without a shepherd and you just love them no matter who they are or what they look like. Have a dream of a church that's not monochrome, 
diverse, not prejudiced, but the most loving, welcoming, gospel-centered community you've ever, ever seen. It's a great dream, isn't it? But it shouldn't be a dream, should it? It should not be a dream because God's church should be full of people from all different walks of life. God's church should be full of people who are young and old and rich and poor and educated and educated. We should not judge people based on what they look like or where they come from. I mean, surely prejudice in God's church is always wrong, isn't it? Yes? Favoritism in God's church is always wrong, isn't it? Yes? Gone are the days where blacks and whites are segregated in the church. Gone are the days where men and women are segregated. Gone are the days where you've got locked pews for the rich people, but the poor people can stand at the back. Hallelujah? Gone are the days when people look you up and down and judge you for what you're wearing or what you look like. Hasn't it? Remember that story in James chapter 2 of two people walking to church and there's one rich man and he's well-dressed and he's well-spoken and he looks trendy. He's got that trendy new haircut with the parting down the side here. and, And everyone says, oh, welcome, have a Bible, come in. Let me find you a seat near the front. We have morning tea outside. We've got a great kids' program. We'd love to see you here. Another person walks in and they look shabby. They're dressed in Vinny's finest and they smell and they're not educated. And people say, oh, somebody else can look after them. We'd never do that, would we? We never really think that someone didn't belong here because of their skin color or their educational background or their dress sense or their marital status, would we? We know our Bibles. Romans Romans 2 verse 11, there's no favoritism with God. James 2 verse 1, my brothers do not show favoritism. Acts chapter 10 verse 34, you just heard it. God does not show favoritism. God doesn't discriminate. We know that. We know our Bibles really well. We know that all people are made in the image of God. We know that all people are deeply loved by God. We know that all people need Jesus. How does a kid's song go? Red or yellow, black or white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves all the children of the world. And we know that, so when we read this story about Peter who is being rebuked quite strongly by God because he is being arrogant, he's being ignorant, he's being prejudiced, he's showing favoritism, we read this story and we say, oh, silly Peter. Because we'd never do it, would we? Listen to this quote from a book called Everything I Know About Racism I Learned in the Church. As a millennial, I've lived most of my years in the so-called post-racial American church. Yet my earliest and my most painful experiences of racism have all occurred in the church at the hands of very sincere Christians. 
Or listen to this story about Mahatma Gandhi. When he was a student, the famous Indian leader, Mahatma Gandhi, considered becoming a Christian. He read the Gospels and was moved by them, and it seemed to him that Christianity offered the solution to the caste system that had plagued the people of India. So one Sunday, he went to a local church. He decided to see the pastor and ask for instructions on the way to salvation. But when he entered the church, which consisted entirely of white people, the ushers refused to give him a seat. Told him to go and worship with his own people. So he left and never went back. He said, quote, If Christians have caste differences also, I might as well remain a Hindu. So here's the reality. Discrimination... Prejudice, favoritism has plagued churches of every generation. And from my observation, this church is no different. It is deeply sad to see some people welcomed really warmly and other people just ignored, mainly because of what they look like. We know up here that all people need Jesus, but if we really knew that, if we really knew that every man, woman, boy, and girl needed to know Jesus Christ, we would not treat people differently, would we? We'd be praying for all kinds of people. We'd be witnessing to all kinds of people. We'd be befriending all kinds of people, not just the people that we like. And this church would look very, very different. I've been incredibly rebuked by Acts chapter 10 this week, and I hope you will be too. I'm going to read through Acts 10, and I'm going to apply it in three ways. So Acts 10 is a turning point in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the gospel is going to start in Jerusalem, go to Samaria, then to the ends of the earth. And in Acts chapter 10, we meet the first Gentile convert. His name is Cornelius. In verse 1, there's a man in Caesarea, that's the admin capital of Judea, a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, and he's a centurion or a captain, a commander of the Italian regiment. Now, he's a religious man, verse 2. He was devout. He feared God, along with his whole household. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. Now, he's a good man. He's a religious man, but he's a Gentile man. And just so you get that, the Gentiles were the now, the uncircumcised, uh, Paul described in Ephesians chapter 2 as excluded from citizenship and foreigners to the covenant and without hope and without God. They were unclean in the eyes of the Jews. They were looked down on and they were discriminated against. Verse 3, about 3 in the afternoon at the time of prayer, Cornelius is praying. He sees a vision and God speaks to him. What is it, Lord, he says? Uh, your prayers and your acts of charity have come up as a memorial offering before God. I've seen the way you pray. I've seen the good that you do. Now send men to Joppa. Where have you heard of that place before in the Bible? Where's Joppa? Remember the book of Jonah? It's a place where the disobedient Jonah boarded the ship to try and run away from God. He didn't want to tell the good news of forgiveness to these wicked people. So send men back to Joppa and call for Simon, who's called Peter. He's lodging with a tanner there. 
And so he goes, and it's amazing how God works. About 21 hours later, just as the people are nearing Joppa, God is speaking to Peter in verse 9. So Peter's praying as well, and verse 10, he becomes hungry, and he wants to eat, and then he has his vision. He sees a large sheet in verse 11 coming down, being lowered by the four corners of the earth, a hint to all nations. And in it were the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and the birds of the sky. And a voice came to him and said, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now, when God speaks to you, what should we do? We should obey, shouldn't we? But not Peter. No, Lord, he says. As you read the Gospels, Peter's done that a number of times, hasn't he? Remember when Jesus said, oh, I'm going to wash your feet? What did, what did Peter say? No, Lord. Remember when, when, when Jesus said he was going to be, uh, suffer and die and a third day's rise again? It was Peter who said, surely not, Lord. And now when God says to Peter, get up, kill and eat all these unclean animals, he says, no, Lord. I've never eaten anything common or unclean. In a way, I do feel for Peter in a way. You know, he knows his Bible. He's read the Levitical food laws of Leviticus 11. So he knows that a good Jewish person cannot eat lobster or prawns or pig's trotters. And the problem was that these laws that God had given them were supposed to set the Jews apart as being distinctive, not discriminating against other people. They were never to be used to, to, to be so favoritism or prejudiced. But the Israelites added on all these extra laws like they, you can't eat with a Gentile and you can't wash with them. And they called the Gentiles filthy, unclean, vile dogs. Now, now Peter should have got it before now because Jesus already said back in Mark chapter 7 that you know, he makes all things unclean because who cares what you put into your stomach? That doesn't make you unclean. It's what comes out of your heart that makes you unclean. Peter's heard that already, but he just doesn't get it. But Peter breaks him. God breaks Peter. So go down to verse 20. He says, get up, go downstairs and accompany them without any doubts. So Peter went down with the men and said, here I am. What's the reason you're here? Oh, centurion, the, the, the uh, centurion, Cornelius, he, he's called you. And so they follow verse 24 and Cornelius has a party. He's called his relatives. He's had his close friends and Peter enters and Cornelius falls down on his feet and worships him. I love verse 26. Peter says, stand up. Get up. Don't be so stupid. I'm just a man. He says, stop worshiping me. I'm not God. That's a lesson we need to learn, isn't it? Stop pointing people to people and start pointing to Jesus. Stop pointing people to these Christian celebrities and start pointing to the crucified Savior. Don't worship people. Worship God. Verse 27, while talking with him, he went on in and found that many had come together there. And Peter says, you know, it's forbidden for me, a Jewish man, to associate with you who is unclean. But God has shown me. God does not have favoritism. God is not prejudiced. I must not call any person common or unclean. It's a great story. Peter is not a a God and Cornelius is not a dog because both men are sinners 
Both men need to hear and understand and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they're both equal in God's sight, no matter what their ethnic background, no matter what their personalities, no matter what their education, because in God's sight, every man and woman is equal, and they all need to hear about Jesus. So we've got three things this morning. The heart of God, the heart of the gospel, and hindrances to God's gospel. The heart of the God is really quite simple. It's all Sunday school stuff. All people need to be saved. Red or yellow, black or white, they are precious in His sight. God loves all the children of the world. That's always been the heart of our God. Way back in Genesis chapter 12 when He called Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. Let me just read some scriptures to you. Just close your eyes if it helps. Psalm 22 verse 27. All the ends of the earth will turn to you. Isaiah 2 verse 1. All nations will stream to the house of the Lord. Isaiah 42 verse 6. You will be a light to the nations. Isaiah 49 verse 6. I will make you a light for the nations to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 2. God poured out his spirit on all mankind. Acts 10 verse 34. We just read it. God does not show favoritism. But in every nation, the person who fears him and does righteousness is acceptable. Acts 10 verse 43, everyone who believes in him will receive forgiveness. That's the heart of our God, isn't it? Our God is not a God of favoritism and prejudice and discrimination. He does not care what people look like or what school they went to. He sees on the inside. He sees deep needs. And the same forgiveness that he gives to the rich person, he gives to the poor person. It's grace, isn't it? There is no difference. I remember standing in a church in what is the, the former Yugoslavia. And the power of a, of a Serbian Christian worshipping the same Jesus Christ with a Croatian Christian. I remember being in Israel in a church and seeing Palestinians worshipping with Israelites. It's the power of the gospel. And I've seen it here, you know. The person who spends most of their weeks in their luxury offices in the city and their CEO of multinational companies and they're standing alongside somebody who has never finished school, but they're both equal in God's sight. That's the sheet in the vision. The sheet is God's church, the bride of Christ, containing all animals, all races, all classes, no distinction, because there is no difference. Is there Galatians chapter 3? There's no difference. Male or female. Slave or free. Jew or Greek. We're all one in Christ Jesus. The heart of God is for every man to hear and believe the gospel. So what's the heart of the gospel? I reckon verses 34 to 43 is a wonderful gospel summary. If anyone asks you what is the gospel and you're stuck for an answer, just take them to these, these few verses. In just nine verses, he basically goes through the whole gospel. You need to know this. The gospel we preach is about a historical man called Jesus, verse 37. Beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed this man called Jesus with the Holy Spirit. Not with oil, but with the Holy Spirit, with power 
how Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with him. We've got to talk about the historical man called Jesus Christ, his teaching, his healings, his miracles. We've got to talk about the death of Jesus. See that in verse 39? They killed Jesus by hanging him on a... What do you expect to say in verse 39? They killed Jesus by hanging him on a... It says tree, but what do we expect it to say? What do we normally say? A cross. Why does Luke say by hanging him on a tree? Because if you know your Bible, was back in Deuteronomy chapter 21, it says that anyone who's hanging on a tree is cursed by God. Because you've got to know what happened at the cross. It's that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is being cursed by his Father. The one who is perfect and innocent is being cursed by God himself. He is taking on himself the penalty and the curse for our sin. It's an exchange taking place at Calvary. He became sin who knew no sin so that we might become his righteousness. You've got to know that the cross is not just a historical event, but the Son of God is being cursed on your behalf so that you might be blessed. You've got to talk about the resurrection Verse 40, because God raised up Jesus on the third day. Historical event, the fact, the resurrection happened. It was witnessed, by, verse 40 by, verse 41 rather, by up to 150, 200, no, 500 people. Because death has been defeated, the grave has been conquered, the job has been done. But he doesn't just talk about the life of Jesus and the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, does he? Look at verse 42, he talks about Jesus as being the judge. He commanded us to preach to people and to solemnly testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of both the living and the dead. We don't like that, but do we in our gospel? We don't like talking about judgment. But we've got to. Now, every human being wants a day of, of judgment, don't they? A day of justice, a day of reckoning. And then we talk about forgiveness in verse 43 because everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness. Not by works, not by church attendance, not by good works or Bible reading or prayers, but by believing, verse 3, by trusting that Jesus is the one he says he is. So if you're ever stuck for a gospel summary, just turn to Acts chapter 10. So when Carlos' friend says, what do you believe? Like, Oh, just open Acts chapter 10. This is what I believe. Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose again, Jesus will judge us, and everyone who believes will be forgiven of their sins. So we've got a, a big heart of God who wants people to be saved. We've got a very simple gospel. Incredibly simple. We've got a problem. God solved it. He sent his son to die for us so that we could be free. It's really simple, isn't it? So here's the question. Why do so few people get it? And I just wonder whether it's because they never actually told it. Because we sit here every Sunday morning in this nice cozy church and we spend the rest of our week not talking about Jesus, not living differently and discriminating against people. When Peter retells the story in chapter 11, it's a great verse in verse 17. 11 verse 17. 
he says, Peter says, if God gave them the same gift that he also gave to us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the Gentiles. If God gave the Gentiles the same gift as the Jews of God, how could I possibly hinder God? How could I possibly not befriend the Gentiles? How could I not associate with them? How could I not talk about Jesus with these people who I once hated? How could I possibly hinder God? We do, don't we? We regularly hinder God. How? I'm sorry I'm being so negative this morning, but we do it by our arrogance. That was Peter, wasn't it? He was, he was Jewish, and you know, he, he was the chosen race. He was the privileged one. He was right about everything. Those dogs, those unclean people, the Gentiles, someone else can go to them. He turned the, the doctrine of election into this favoritism and racial pride. But we'd never hinder God's gospel like that. We'd never be arrogant in the evangelical church, would we? We'd never judge other people, would we? I think we excel at that, don't we? We've got everything right. We've got our doctrine right. We've got our church sorted. We are the Bible-believing evangelical church. And we set up all these hoops that we have to jump through. We may get into the kingdom so, so hard. We're very good at being arrogant in terms of church. We look at churches where they do things slightly differently. And we make these arrogant comments that there could be nobody there who loves Jesus. That's rubbish. Lots of people there who would love Jesus just doing things slightly differently. But if they're not, if they don't yet love Jesus, but they're meeting every week and they're singing and they're praying, but they don't know Jesus, what, what do they really need? They don't need us to critique their church and to judge their church. They need us to befriend them, to get alongside them, to listen to them, and to model Jesus and to preach Jesus to them. There's hypocrisy, isn't there? Peter was such a hypocrite. You probably didn't spot that, but look at chapter 10, verse 6. Where is, where is Peter staying? He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And if you just look back to your footnotes in chapter 9, verse 43, tanners were considered richly unclean because of their occupation. Uh, so, so Peter is very happy to stay at an unclean person's house if it benefits him, but he refuses to go and talk to somebody who's unclean. Hypocrisy is rife in my life and in your life. This double life that we, we tend to live. But the heart of this problem is, is discrimination and prejudice. I read this comment, this is a simple comment, it really struck me this week. It is very difficult to share the gospel if you won't eat at the same table as those, as those people. It's very difficult to share the gospel with people if you won't eat at the same table as them. That's the heart of what Peter was doing. He refused to eat with them, he refused to talk to them because those awful Gentiles are beyond salvation. Do you ever do that? We withdraw from whole communities because they're not like us. 
ironically, the, the table has kind of turned, doesn't it? In many ways, you know, it's the Jewish people who need to hear the gospel, but no Christians are actually getting alongside them and befriending them and sharing their life with them. I've got a friend who was a student minister here. His name is Ronaldo Sanchez. He's now working in Lakemba. And he's just getting alongside the Muslims. He's living alongside them and he's seeking every opportunity to witness to Jesus. It's hard work. But he genuinely, genuinely loves those people. Just think about all the little groups within Sydney that Christians just never actually mix with. How many Christians do you know who are hanging out up at King's Cross, at Darlinghurst, and just befriending the gay community? Because all the gay community here is that church hates them, and, and Christians just withdraw from them. Now, I'm not saying that we need to actually be celebrating their, their lifestyle, but we should just be befriending them and loving them as people. Getting alongside them. Every opportunity to talk about Jesus. They need to hear Jesus as much as anybody else, don't they? What about the people that you work with every day? Their biggest need is Jesus. So I think we're arrogant, we're hypocrites. We do show favoritism, we do discriminate. But at the end of the day, I think we actually doubt the power of the gospel. Now, Romans 1, verses 16 and 17. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. And if we really believed that, that when people hear about Jesus, no matter who they are, what color their skin is, what school they went to, whether they're old or young, whether they're rich or poor, if we believe that when the gospel is spoken, when the gospel is preached, and the Spirit of God can take that gospel and work in their heart and open their heart, and we might have the joy of welcoming to our congregation and to God's church, if we believe that, then through our own personality, our own way, we would just gently, quietly talk about Jesus. Because 10 verse 34, God does not show favoritism. So I have a dream. But I reckon my dream is God's dream. People from every race, every tribe, every background, all worshipping Jesus together. How wonderful would that be? Is it difficult? Not really. We need to see people as people, don't we? Stop judging them by what they look like or what they're wearing or what school they went to. And just love them and get alongside them and talk about Jesus.